Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. And here we go on a Thursday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi streaming live at supertalk.fm. This week's gone by really quickly. We had the impending white death Armageddon or Snowmageddon 2019 that came and went extremely quickly. And I guess that kind of made everything move fast. I can't believe it's already Thursday, but we're glad to be with you this afternoon. Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey with you today. Richard's off doing... I don't know, whatever Richard does when he's off, but he will be back uh, locked and loaded, ready on tomorrow's show, getting ready for what will be, and we'll talk about this here in a little bit, a really, really, really big game in Oxford between Ole Miss and Mississippi State on Saturday. But first, Sports Talk is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Guys, what's up? Well, we just had some NBA breaking news, but otherwise a pretty mundane sports afternoon. You know, you say that, but from a national perspective, we had a huge NBA trade just in the last hour. Uh, you know, along with that, you had the Missouri thing happen today. So there's been some big stories today. And we'll touch on that here in a little bit. So here's what we got coming up for you this afternoon. We will talk a little NBA. And Richard's not here. I'm running the show. And so we're going to talk a little NBA. It'll be at the top of the 4 o'clock hour. We will not spend any longer than 10 minutes on it, so spare your complaints. We will talk NBA today because the NBA is making big news, and I think we would be failing as a sports talk show to not at least touch on it somewhat. But I, I promise you it'll be 10 minutes. It'll be at the top of the 4 o'clock hour, and we won't spend any more time on it. That's coming up here a little bit later. The latest on the Anthony Davis saga, as well as the Knicks, just uh, got rid of, presumably to make a run at Kevin Durant and Anthony Davis. Uh, their biggest asset sent him to Dallas uh, today. So we'll get into that a little bit later. Missouri, uh, an investigation that went basically uncovered nationally. I, I mean, I had no idea this was going on. I don't know about you two, but I, I mean, I guess I knew that there was this tutor that that said some things and, and maybe they were going to get into some trouble, but I mean, that was so long ago, it completely slipped my mind until sanctions were handed down today. A culture of corruption, if you will. <laughs> it's amazing. Well, you know, uh, the Basically, the entire... Well, what would you say? Seriously, like 30% of all sports journalists went to Missouri? <laughs> that might be a lot. <laughs> and magically, I mean, we didn't even know that they met with the Committee on Infractions. It just it never got covered. Well, uh, I, had, I spoke to Coach Barry Odom, who assured me that all of these violations happened under Gary Pinkle's watch. <laughs> and maybe that's part of it. Missouri didn't take to social media 
uh, to spread their Compliance defense. Compliance at Mizzou.edu. Uh, so, apparently, Kelly Bryant is going to stay at Missouri, by the way, despite receiving a bull ban. So, if you have no idea what we're talking about, Missouri today received sanctions from the NCAA because a tutor did varying degrees of coursework for, what, about a dozen Missouri student-athletes. So, their football program, their baseball program, and their softball program will all serve postseason bans this year among some other stuff. We'll get into that a little bit later on. Kelly Bryant is going to stay put, apparently. Uh, There were some ears perked up here in Mississippi because he was at some point considering Mississippi State, and maybe this would have allowed him to re-enter the portal, but he doesn't seem to want to do that. More on that later on in the show. Ole Miss basketball last night had a huge opportunity, a game in hand last night in Gainesville, Rippey, and just couldn't close the deal. Yeah, up three with eight seconds left, elected not to va- foul. Kevon Allen made a really big shot, contested shot over K.J. Buffin. You know, Florida goes on a quick 10-3 spurt in overtime and kind of hangs on. It was kind of, I mean, you, you categorized it perfectly, a big missed opportunity. Big-time missed opportunity. It would have been a quadrant one road win for Ole Miss. They went to overtime. They got beat. And over time, just hang on a few minutes. We'll dive deeper into that game coming up here in about 10 minutes from right now. We'll look at the other scores around the SEC. Plus, I'm telling you, uh, we talked about this the first time Ole Miss and Mississippi State met this year where basketball actually means something because both teams lost. Uh, Mississippi State lost in Tuscaloosa on Tuesday night. Ole Miss lost in Gainesville last night. Saturday is a keep not a make-or-break game, but the winner of that game will, at least to me, remain in the NCAA tournament conversation, and the other, the loser will then kind of be on the outside looking in. I don't Which know if it's I go easy to far. recover, uh, yeah. but just from a we current can use standing, the B word though. We can use the bubble word. Yeah, the the loser of that game becomes extremely bubbly. It's very important for both of those teams to get a win on Saturday. The game. Yet again, for different reasons this time, though, has, has a huge meaning. Yeah, yeah. for Mississippi State, you know, they've just been so inconsistent here in, in SEC play. They'd like to put together a winning streak, and they're in the middle of this really, really tough stretch. Uh, I don't know if they can get a winning streak with this at Ole Miss, LSU, Kentucky stretch that they're in, but I do know they're not going to start one without a win on Saturday in Oxford, and just from a perception standpoint, to lose both games to Ole Miss and Kermit Davis's first year, that would not be great for Ben Hallen in his fourth year. So, yeah, the Bulldogs really, really need to find a way to win this one. We'll talk about that a little bit coming up as well. Jeffrey Simmons, um, maybe not to a surprise, has not been invited to the NFL Combine. What does that mean? Well, nothing really. Uh, you'd be surprised at how little NFL people, NFL media – organizations watch college football. So if you're a Mississippi State fan wondering why this kind of stuff keeps coming up now, years later, it's because people are just figuring out who he is. And uh, this black mark in his past is coming back up again. He will still have a pro day in Starkville. He will still be a top 15 pick. But the NFL likes to tell themselves and everybody else that they care about those kind of things, when in reality this rule does where this penalty does nothing at all other than make a nice headline for a day. 
Correct, correct. Yeah, he's still pretty much locked in to be a top half of the first round pick. All it really does is make uh, MSU's pro day must watch television because all of those coaches and scouts who don't get to talk to Simmons at the combine will come to Starkville now uh, to meet with him. We will get into that. Some NBA trade talk again. Like I said, Lee Sterling will join with his uh, Super Bowl pick this week. I think uh, I'm going to ask him about a few props as well, like what color the Gatorade is going to be. I don't know if that's something that he offers uh, on ParamountSports.com, but uh, maybe we can get a little insight onto how they even handicap that kind of thing. Uh, Our baseball countdown continues with Kentucky. Uh, getting a little bit better. Missouri and Tennessee and Alabama don't inspire any excitement in college baseball, but uh, as we continue on, the teams get a little bit better. A beautiful brand-new stadium they've built there uh, for that baseball team. Finally, the short porch is eliminated where a pop fly turns into a home run for any lefty. I I think, you know, know, I'm not left-handed myself, but I will speak as their advocate and, and say that, they're probably not happy about that. The power number is about to go way down at Kentucky. And they won't have lineups with six lefties in it anymore. That is a really short porch. And that fence, they, they like tried to rectify it a little bit, and the fence didn't do a whole lot. Hey, what was it down the line? Oh, it was like 300, right? I'm about to look. Which is smaller than high school fields around the state of Mississippi. It. Let's see here. Have they updated? A it? deep fly ball in any other park was, it was a it was, home run. It's three ten. Yeah, it, with the wind blowing out too. Yeah, so that's probably a little generous too. Don't you think it was probably realistically right at three hundred? Yeah, it felt probably. even shorter than that. But they just had a lineup full of lefties. Um, anyway, new park in Kentucky. We'll preview them as well. So a lot coming up for you this afternoon. And we will start with hoops. Uh, Ole Miss just squandered an opportunity in Gainesville last night. It, it ultimately does not hurt them in the long run, but, man, that's a win you've just got to have. When you're in that position, not going into the game, there were five-and-a-half-point underdogs, but when you're up three with eight seconds left, you were up three with, what was it, a minute 30 left or so, got to find a way to win that one. Yeah, and particularly given what happened last week and kind of what you're facing. So after State, the schedule is a little tamer for about a two-week stretch, but then the home stretch is, is pretty brutal. So, you know, that you know, it's a, like you said, it's a missed opportunity. It won't necessarily hurt them, but it makes the road going forward a little more arduous because that's a game that you thought you'd have a good chance to take on the road and kind of rectify a home loss from a week ago. You can text us, 601 879 879-4395. That's the C Spire text line. Be a part of the show this afternoon. Do not text and drive. We'll get into Ole Miss hoops. A lot of stuff you're coming your way this afternoon on Sports Talk. It's Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippy with you. Hang tight in the Renaissance Bank. C Spire text line 601-879-4395 is how you can be a part of the show this afternoon. Promised you we'll recap the Ole Miss-Florida basketball game, but hey, Dad, we did get a question specifically for you from John in Hurley. He's asking if Brad Cumbest was the tight end who redshirted, and is he expected to play baseball? If so, what kind of contribution can Mississippi State fans expect from him? 
is expected to play baseball. Was not at media day. He had the, he had the uh, he had a cold or had the flu or something that day, so they didn't bring him out there uh, for interviews. Uh, I don't know the, how much he'll he'll contribute uh, this year because state is so young. You know, they've got especially in the infield, they've got a lot of underclassmen there, and I think he projects as a first baseman. I think Tanner Allen sort of has that sort of locked up for the next couple of years at least. But uh, but could be a big bat that they bring in. You know, in late innings if they need a you know a pinch hitter, we'll see what happens with him. Big power guy, and obviously it's six foot five and two hundred and thirty pounds. And he's a tight end. Uh, might expect to, to see some pop from him, but I don't think he has a big role in, in this his first season on campus. And we'll turn the page now to basketball. And John and McComb asks, I guess, the million-dollar question from the game last night: Why did Ole Miss not foul when Florida pressed or passed half court to keep Florida from shooting the three-pointer? Uh, if you missed the game or don't remember, uh, Florida had the ball down three with just under nine seconds left. It was like eight point six seconds left or so. Uh, Ole Miss didn't. Uh, pressed the inbound, didn't push the envelope at all until Florida crossed half court. They made the game tying three with two seconds left, and the game went to overtime where Ole Miss lost. Um, before we get to that, uh, Brian Tyree started kind of slow but ended up scoring 20 points on 6 of 15 shooting. Terrence Davis had a good night, uh, 26 points on 8 of 17 shooting, 12 rebounds in the game. Your stat of the game, though, K.J. Buffin was also very good. He still needs to develop a jump shot, but that'll come, and once it does, he'll end up being a very, very good college basketball player. Here's your stat of the game, game though, Rippy. 45 minutes combined between your two true bigs and Dominic Olenicek and Bruce Stevens. Three rebounds combined from the two of them. Not great. Um, you know the guard. You know more guards were getting rebounds than anything else. But yeah, you gotta have gotta have more of a presence there on the glass from your big guys. And even though they didn't last night, they still had not just an opportunity, the opportunity to win the game. So let's start with John and McCombs' scenario. Ole Miss up three, eight point six or so left on the clock. Chose not to foul. What were you thinking before the shot went in? And then in hindsight, what do you think they should have done? It was interesting. So Kermit Davis explained it a little bit on the radio broadcast post game and said, you know, up three with six seconds or under, he almost always fouls. He felt there was too much time. And that kind of justifies it because he, I think he mentioned he had gotten burned on something similar in one of his games at middle. But the, isn't the ideal strategy there is you kind of, play a token press you make you know you challenge the inbound pass and you kind of get one trap and you either make them dribble twice or make them throw one or two passes to bleed a little bit of time off the clock and then foul when the ball kind of gets near midcourt that gives less opportunity for a possession off an offensive rebound on the impending free throws so I, I still don't quite understand it. You know, the the numbers say fouling every time gets you an almost guaranteed win because if you think about it, if you foul, a lot more has to happen for that game to get tied or for Florida to score twice and win as opposed to, you know, if you don't foul, and particularly when you don't challenge the ball up the fl- when they're bringing it up the floor, all it takes is one contested jumper and the game's tied, and that's exactly what happened. To me, fouling up three with under 10 seconds should be in the same category as, you know, a QB sneak on fourth and inches or taking a pitch on 3-0. It should just be standard operating practice. It, it amazes me there are coaches who don't do it. And there are some coaches who swear by don't do it, by not doing it. 
that they would never foul under any circumstances. It's crazy to me. It's 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 the easiest way to almost guarantee a victory because even if they miss the second free throw, kicking it around, they're they're not going to have a lot of time. And I, I just thought that 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 to me that's just that's just a bad move by Kermit. Yeah, that, that's a uh, I believe the technical term is brain fart. Yeah, and I understand getting burned by it before. For example, I've had a a really awful night back in college that started and ended with Jägermeister, and every time I smell it, I, I, I can consume it. I, it. It is just being around it still makes me sick. I'll never touch it again, uh, even though people swear by it, not for me, after just one ugly night that ended with my head buried in a trash can. But the point is, it, having something like that happen to you can scare you away from it, but especially when you're shooting free throws as well as you were all night and really as you do as a team. They're a pretty good free throw shooting team. Not forcing Florida, one, to make two and foul you and then get the ball back down the court, uh, but just taking that opportunity away from your team to ice it with free throws after Florida would have made or missed theirs. The whole thing just kind of feels like they just missed it. Just a missed opportunity. It was a a missed decision. A uh, couple turnovers late also really cost them. Florida got a freak up and under basket that the guy was just hoping that if he threw it up towards the basket, he would get a foul call. The ball ended up going in. Uh, just a lot of things towards the end of that game that went Florida's way against Ole Miss, and part of that was their own doing. Uh, just a really unfortunate end for them in that game. Yeah, the two most shocking things – to me, were one that they didn't challenge them bringing the ball up the court. I mean, they gave them free reign to get the ball across half court. And then number two, there were, when he brought the ball towards the right sideline, he had two dribbles before he faced up to the basket. And I was surprised Buffin did not foul him on one of those two dribbles before he was even remotely like had his feet in his, in a position to get into a jump shooting motion. That when like when that happened and they didn't foul there, that was kind of, I was thinking, it was like, kind of, what are they doing? And it cost them. I mean, it cost them a, a game on the road against a team that they had beat and would have been a big resume-building type opportunity win for them. And now they're – what have they lost, four or five? And Yeah, one and four in the last five. Potentially a season-changing win for Florida, too. That was a massive swing for both teams there because that was an enormous win for Florida. It was until you look at their next three games. Kentucky at home at Auburn at Tennessee. And then they host Ooh. Vanderbilt, which is Ooh. easy. And then they go to Alabama and then go to LSU. That's yep. literally the toughest stretch as you can have. <laughs> it literally cannot be any any harder for you than that, other than if you were at Kentucky, I guess. It's a brutal stretch there for Florida. Ah, yeah. But you know what, though? The analytics will look at it and say, even if they lose all three, they were good losses. As long as they're close in those games. Florida's going to get into the NCAA tournament on the strength of their of their resume. I think even if they're just a couple games above 500, I think they're going to get in. And as Rippy mentioned, Saturday is critical for Ole Miss. If we're if we're still still talking about the NCAA tournament, and I, I have a feeling most bracketologists would still have them in, very bubbly, but still have them in. So it's certainly a goal that's still in their grasp. Saturday is critical. Beyond Saturday, if they can get a win, and really the same goes for Mississippi State, if if Ole Miss can get a win on Saturday, the road gets pretty easy for the next two weeks or so. They they host A&M, who's bad. They go to Georgia, who's bad. Tough game at Auburn. Host Missouri, who's bad. 
and go to South Carolina, who appears to be coming back down to earth. So a critical game Saturday followed by a, a stretch where they can pile some wins together if they get back to playing, at least offensively, even the way they did last night. Yep, and they get Georgia at home after that South Carolina game, too. Oh, I missed that. Yeah, Georgia, again, who's bad, at home. So that kind of ends that stretch. But, yeah, I, I, I agree. So that's where you got to find – if you're Ole Miss and you still kind of want a realistic shot at making the tournament, you probably – I mean, you need to – there's a way to do it without winning Saturday, but not an easy one or a clear one. So you probably need to find a way to win Saturday and then really make your hay in the next couple weeks because – I mean, the ending stretch is Tennessee at Arkansas, Kentucky at Missouri, which is not not friendly. Is it fair to say that with a loss, State's path to the tournament remains easier than Ole Miss's? If, if yeah. Ole Miss loses, they're in trouble. But if State loses, they can still they'll be okay. I don't know what State has after it. State has LSU uh, at home, then Kentucky at home, then they are at Georgia and at Arkansas. That's their next four. They do finish, though, at Tennessee, at Auburn, Texas A&M at home. Ooh, a couple of tough go, wins in there. Opportunity it, wins, at least. If State, though, like what what would a loss Saturday put State? Three and five? Three and five. Do you really want to be sitting three and five, though, with oh, Kentucky no, and LSU coming? Yeah. You don't want to be, no. It's big for both teams. Huge. Yeah. Few of your texts coming in. We'll get to those on the other side. Tim and Tupelo says he's got the same thing with tequila that I do with Jaegermeister. Man, one bad night when you're a junior in college can change your life, can it? Ugh. I don't want to talk about that anymore. It's Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll continue on this conversation. Look at the other scores uh, from the SEC last night. Get into previewing Ole Miss and Mississippi State on Saturday. A huge game coming up. And a whole lot more coming your way. It's Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Back on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming live at supertalk.fm. We'll get to the text line and then move on to some other things regarding the Ole Miss and Florida basketball game. Greg Nettleton says, refs sure didn't give the Rebels any breaks. Saw a lot of no calls. and I mean, maybe, but even though there were 10 minutes of bonus free throws in that game, which is just something that I've obsessively tweeted about, it is ridiculous. Now, I'm not talking about last night's game. I'm talking about in college basketball. I see it a lot in the SEC. We have stretches of games that last 10 minutes where every whistle leads to free throws for both teams. It is just insanity. What could be good, close, fun, back-and-forth games get destroyed because, for some reason, men's college basketball is the only level in which we do just halves, and we blow the whistle so much, teams are in the bonus with 10 minutes to go in a basketball game, and it's not fun to watch. It's a bad product to watch even when the teams are playing well. Drives me insane. You don't it's the only like level of basketball throws? in the world where it's two halves. It doesn't. I mean, why? But do something about it because I, I can't believe the SEC. And it's not. I know it's not an SEC problem. It's it's men's college basketball that's halves. But I don't know how somebody doesn't put their hand up and say, "Hey, this is adversely affecting our product." It's ruining games. It, it's like. 
if you're, let's say, on a football field, every time there's a holding call, you get to kick a field goal. Every time the whistle's blown for 10 minutes in that game last night, teams got to shoot free throws, and it it helped Ole Miss because they're a good free throw shooting team. But as a consumer just watching, it's painful. Yeah, and with regards to it... Go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm going to say I love the the science and the technique of free throws. It's it's (laughs) must-watch television for me. The... With regards to it last night, it was bad because, what, both teams were in the bonus with about, what did you say, Borky, 10 minutes left? I know about Florida 10 got left. in early. Yeah, with that, I agree, but that I think they let them play okay down the stretch. With with regards to the text or tweet that we got, it was, it looked like Schuler on a second chance opportunity late in that game got killed going back up, and they kind of let it go. Yeah. But there was another one the other way that I can't remember who it was with Florida that got killed on a drive, too. So they let him play to some degree down the stretch. But I agree, it's a it's a bad rule. John and Hurley says he agrees with Haydad. Foul every time up three with under 10 seconds left. And a text from the 662 um, from Allen says, Most coaches will take giving a contested 30-foot shot. Ole Miss pressured the inbound versus Valpo. Just FYI. Well, the thing is, Ole Miss against Valpo was not up three with 8.6 seconds left. Valpo hit the shot and won the game. There's a difference there. Yeah, and I I get coaches wanting to wait because a lot of times when, like I agree with Haydad's general idea of you foul up three with 10 seconds left, but a lot of coaches don't do it immediately. They get the trap, they make them pass out of it once, or at least take a couple dribbles up the sideline before bowling to bleed a couple more seconds off. So in some ways, I kind of get what Kermit was saying, because if you think about it, if you give them two points and then they get a steal or a trap on the inbounds pass, you're kind of kicking yourself for giving them the initial two points. But the counter to that would be they're going to have to do a lot more to tie or win the game rather than just make one jump shot. Right. right, And, that, and so, that's, that's, that's the main point that you're talking about they're going to have to either make two free throws and then foul again, and then they're going to give you put you back on the line with the opportunity to put it way, you know, right back to three points, or they're missing a free throw, they're going to have to get a rebound and a shot. It, it, it's just smarter to foul. Sure. It, but well, if it, in a game where they, you know, Florida botched a couple inbounds passes late. So I get the anxiety of your team trying to get the ball inbounds after giving them two points to cut it to one. But like y'all were saying, it more has to happen when you don't, I mean, when you do foul. Definitely. And uh, that turns our attention to Saturday, where Ole Miss and Mississippi State will, will play in Oxford, where both teams desperately need a win. So I'll pose this question to the two of you Who needs it more? For if if you're if you're Ole Miss, I think I mean you're losing. You're talking about losing five out of six, whereas you know State would be losing what three out of four. So I mean, not that either one of those are really good situations, but you know Ole Miss has gone from this team that was sort of the uh, the the best story in college basketball for a little while. They they were the, they were the toast of the town. Kermit Davis his first year doing all this good stuff, and they shoot into the polls, and now it's just all sort of falling apart for them. So. Like we just said, I think we, we agree that State's path to the NCAA tournament with a loss remains easier than Ole Miss's does, so I'd say Ole Miss needs this game more. It's probably Ole Miss because five out of six is a 
is a pretty significant slide. Like they're one and four in the last five, but I, I don't think necessarily things are coming apart. They're playing really good basketball teams. I mean, they played then, well offensively last night. Yeah, they did. And like you think about it, you lost to LSU, who's you know Bunch becoming of one of, if on not the team. best team in the SEC. And then you you rebound with a win at Arkansas, and then you lose a tough game at Alabama in a game they really needed, and you just kind of laid an egg. And then you play an Iowa State team that a lot of people think is going to win the Big 12. And so it's one of those things where you – I said this on Hey Dad's podcast earlier. You know, every team goes through this in a longer season, particularly good ones where you kind of hit the doldrums of January, early February. You know, In a good league like this, there's no break in the schedule. You're going to hit a slide, but you can't have it – You know turn into five losses in a two-and-a-half-week span or something like that. So, you know, Ole Miss has played well in times during this stretch, but there just hasn't been any let-up in the competition, and they've missed a couple opportunities, the most recent one being last night. So I would agree Ole Miss needs it more. Yeah, and, and as we mentioned earlier in the show, Ole Miss does have a stretch of pretty easy games, but losing Saturday eliminates your margin for error in those easy games, and it's not – easy, keep using that word, to go on the road and win in the SEC regardless of your opponent. It's not like it's going to be a cakewalk to walk into Georgia and come out with a win even though you should have the better team. So losing Saturday eliminates your margin for error in a stretch of games where you don't have any opportunities to get a beneficial win. It would just be a loss that would hurt you. Uh, So critical game coming up on Saturday. Uh, Sure, we'll be locked into that one more as we go about the rest of the afternoon as well as tomorrow. Other scores in the SEC last night, LSU beat up on Texas A&M, who is bad, and Auburn beat up on Missouri, who is equally as bad. Sort of funny that LSU only needed 72 points to beat A&M in basketball. (laughs) Because they couldn't do it in football. 72 was not enough to get the job done on the gridiron. Tremont Waters just kind of lost his mind last night. I don't know if y'all watched much of that game, but nobody else. There was like a 12-minute stretch in that game where literally no one else could could score for LSU except him. But I mean, if if he's the one scoring, I mean, he's he's a good player. He can he can go shot for shot with a lot of teams. If you're telling me you know one player in the SEC that is going to you know go on that kind of run, he's one of the guys I put towards the top of that list. Yeah, he was excellent. It was uh, it was fun to watch, and A and M didn't really change. I don't know if they didn't think they could match up with LSU man to man, but they didn't really do anything to change it. They stayed in a zone and just kind of let him roam the perimeter. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what you, we've talked about LSU and how much they have, you know, how much talent they have down there in the post. I mean, you got to pick your poison with them, you know, and that's why they're a good team. Is they can attack you inside or they can attack you outside, and that's what good teams are going to have. They're going to have that balance. Uh, you know, so you look at next week with Mississippi State when they when they come up there. You know, State had so many front court issues against Alabama. If, they, if Alabama had 54 points in the paint uh, on Tuesday night, if State plays that poorly in the post next Tuesday against LSU, that could easily be 60, 70 points uh, for the Tigers. Get a text here that asks if we have discussed the NCAA penalties against Missouri. We've touched on it. Uh, we'll dive deep into it at the top of the hour for the college football fix at five o'clock. If you're just tuning in and don't know what we're talking about. Uh, Missouri, out of nowhere, because, I mean, people accuse the Ole Miss investigation of being undercovered or uncovered. Look at what Missouri, I mean, Missouri was handed down sanctions today and nobody had any idea what they were about or or when the Committee on Infractions meeting occurred. I have never seen a notice of allegations. This thing was kept completely under wraps. 
their football, basketball, and baseball programs today uh, were softball. hit. Uh, no, not basketball. Not basketball. Softball. Football, baseball, and softball programs were hit with postseason bans because about a dozen athletes were uh, assisted or had their coursework flat out done for them uh, by a tutor. Uh, so pretty heavy penalties, especially considering that there was no proof that the tutor was instructed by Missouri to do what they were doing. They just, according to the documents, did it on their own. So tough day for Missouri. We'll get into the implications of that. Maybe do some comparing uh, to cases that are a little bit more close to home. All that stuff coming up at the top of the hour at 5 o'clock. More coming up for you next at Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Hour Sports Talk Mississippi streaming live at supertalk.fm. Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippy with you this afternoon. Richard's off just today. He'll be back tomorrow ready to rock and roll previewing Ole Miss and Mississippi State hoops as well as the Super Bowl, which has been dominated. The week leading up to the Super Bowl, the media cycle, and I don't know how much those of you listening care about the media cycle, has been dominated by the NBA. So Adam Silver is loving it. I doubt Roger Goodell is loving it. But the NBA has been the, the talk of the week leading up to the Super Bowl. We will do a Super Bowl preview as well as the Egg Bowl of basketball tomorrow. We were going to talk some NBA right now, but there is some breaking news. Friend of the show, Joel T. Coleman, who is co-host of the Thunder and Lightning podcast, which, by the way, you can get on iTunes or at supertalk.fm, whichever you prefer. Uh, that Mississippi State junior pitcher Denver McQuarrie has been dismissed from the team for violation of team rules. It's pretty vague, hey, Dad, so do you know anything more than that? I do not. I do not. I reached out to Joel as soon as I saw it and said, do you, do you have any idea what the real reason is? And, and you know, we'll have to speculate because we don't know. Um, McQuarrie was, a, you know, uh, an upperclassman who had pitched in some big spots for MSU in the past couple of years, uh, was probably going to be in the mix for that Sunday starter spot behind Ethan Small and JT Ginn uh, going into the uh, into the season, uh, but obviously that'll that'll be a thing of the past now, and he'll he'll move on. What a, what an odd career for him, you know, guy. I don't know. I, I told you this in the break, and I don't know how many of our listeners know it, but Denver McQuarrie is the all-time leading or the leader in interceptions uh, in the state of Mississippi for high school football, or at least he was when he when he left high school. Great athlete, had had some. Some good times and some some ups and downs at Mississippi State, but he'll he'll be moving on as of now. How big of a loss is that? What was his role supposed to be? I think he would have been a you know like I said possibly the Sunday starter, but I don't think he would have gotten that job. He could have been a midweek starter, and and definitely would have been some long relief on the weekends. Um, so I mean it's a, it's a hole to fill, but State's got enough quality arms this year that I don't think it's it's a it's a backbreaker or anything like that. All right, so that's what we have right now. We will continue to preview baseball season, I think just two and a half weeks away from first pitch, so coming down to it, um, and at least a depth loss for Mississippi State. Two weeks, not two and a half, two. Two weeks from tomorrow. Wow, it's it's right, that's Thursday. So 15 days away from first pitch, uh, coming down to it. Uh, So let's get into some NBA, and if you don't like it, just give us a few minutes. We'll get right you're gonna back like onto it the stuff you care about. I'm about to make Borky about. really agitated and unhappy. Go ahead. Well, I, I don't know if you're going to because we might actually agree on something. But first, uh, the the big story of today was how the Knicks offloaded Kristaps Porzingis to the Mavericks, and they got some pieces back. But basically, they did that. And Rippy, you're you're more uh, educated on this th- than myself. 
they made this deal. They got rid of their youngest and most valuable asset. It appears because they're clearing up a bunch of space to make a run at Kevin Durant and Anthony Davis. Yeah, well, so I'm they have. Oh, good. So they have, I believe, seventy-eight million dollars in cap space now freed up, which would be good enough for two max slots, if I'm not mistaken. So I think they're going to try to make a big run this summer at a couple different guys. You mentioned Anthony Davis and Kevin Durant. I think Kyrie Irving's got to be in the conversation too. I'm old enough to remember when New York cleared out a bunch of cap space to make a run at LeBron James, and that turned out the way that that turned out. The Knicks, as great as Madison Square Garden and the history of basketball in New York City is, James Dolan is an owner players don't want to play for at the end of the day, and they, they just don't. He's, he's, he's incompetent at best and you know much worse than that at worst. So I, I, I see this as... We were probably a few months away from the Knicks giving max contracts to a couple players that don't deserve max contracts just to try to save some face when they strike out on Durant and Anthony Davis and players like that. I don't think Anthony Davis is going to make it to free agency. That's just my opinion. I don't, or at least to the summer. I think that's going to that that's going to be resolved before the end of the before maybe we even get to the trade deadline. I don't know. You think they're going to deal him before the trade deadline? I, I think that there's a possibility. So all right, let's get into that right now because we have yet to get your take on this. Um, but since Richard's gone, we get to do what we want, and we want to talk basketball. And so Anthony Davis, through his agent, um, told the Pelicans and then made it public that he wanted to be traded. And as it's been dug deeper, it turns out that he had a conversation with Pelicans GM Del Demps, basically begging him to deal him before the deadline. And Demps's response was, nah, but I guarantee, I promise you I'll do it before the start of next season. Um, some reporting here and there about, uh, well, Del Demps never picked up the phone when the Lakers called to now that they've spoken, but nothing has really come of it to the Lakers have put five different offers on the table. Right. It seems infeasible he'll move before the end of the season. I bet this summer they move him, though. They're going to want to see what Boston comes up with and where Boston, what draft picks they can offer them. But as far as go ahead, go ahead. I was just saying, as far as New York's concerned, Kyrie is an interesting one here because he's been linked to have interest in New York for almost two years now, and now they kind of have the space to do it. And so how does that kind of become a domino effect if he leaves for their bidding for Anthony Davis? Boston's, that is. Right. I don't I don't think Kyrie will be the first domino to go to New York. I think he would wait it out to see if somebody like Durant – I don't think he wants to go there and try to be the piece that they recruit around. He wants to know that he wants to have some assurances because he knows that if he wants to, he can stay in Boston. He could go to L.A. and reunite with LeBron since they seem to have put their differences behind them. He has other options. So if he wants to go to New York, he's going to make sure he doesn't get stuck there by himself. But you still think they might deal him before the deadline? They might. They just might. They might just might because I'm sure they're talking with Anthony Davis, and what if he just gives them a destination? He's like, look, anybody else you trade me to, I'm not signing a long-term deal unless you send me to this place. And what if that place is L.A.? L.A.'s offer is not going to get any better between now and the and the summer. They're going to they're going to give up their entire young core, which is hilarious to me the way that that whole thing has played out. That those guys were supposedly untouchable two years ago, and it really feels like the first fifty games of the season were just a dress rehearsal for LeBron. It was like he wanted to see if they could do it, with, you know. And him getting injured has hurt them. Obviously, they would they were in the fourth place in the West when he got hurt. Now they're down to ninth. I mean, that's not surprising. That's why LeBron's the best player in the, in the, in the game. 
And I'd love, as a Laker fan, I'd love to keep Kyle Kuzma. He's the one guy I think is the true future star in that group, but you got to do it, you know. So the, the the deal that they offered supposedly was Ball, Ingram, Kuzma, Zubak, and a first round pick. Which I mean, if, if the Lakers get Anthony Davis, you're talking about a pick in the high twenties, probably. So it's not that's not a, there's not a lot of value to that. But that's four good young players, and they already have Randall. That's it's hilarious that the Lakers' young core can become the Pelicans' young core in, in the course of a about twelve months. The Pelicans' best case scenario here is for. Probably for Davis to not play the rest of the year, but still have him on the roster, tank, kind of get a draft pick in order, and then move him this summer. Yeah, right. and they are tanking. I mean, they're they're going to tank and, and posture for a draft pick, even though missing five of their top six leading scorers has led to them playing really good basketball in the two games since Anthony Davis said that he wanted to leave. The, the Boston deal... Unless that changes, unless Danny Ainge completely changes what they have been told that they're going to offer, I don't think the fan base in New Orleans will accept anything else. They certainly won't accept sending him for L.A. for basically the same deal but with not as good players, and Boston has more picks to give up. Right. That, that's, that's what's going to end up. That, that's the case to wait, basically, that if – if, Anthony, if Davis is open to multiple teams and he's willing to wait to the summer to figure it out, then, yeah, Boston is going to be able to offer a, probably a more tra- – you're, what you're going to get is, especially if it's the first pick, if somehow that becomes the first pick and that means you're getting Zion Williamson, you're, you're really, you know I, – I, not that they're the same kind of player, but Zion is the same potential superstar that Anthony Davis has become, I think. So – yeah. That would be good news for them. Same with the Knicks, though. The Knicks could have all this cap space and the number one pick. Mm-hmm. So they could get two superstars and Zion Williamson, and then then you really got something cooking there. Buckle up on that, yeah. And with Boston, I mean, at the end of the day, they think that even though Davis's agent is saying anywhere but L.A. is a one-year rental, they think that they will be able to convince him to stay and re-sign him even after one year. So they're still willing to do the deal, it sounds like, according to reports, even though they know that that stigma is in place because they believe once he gets there and they will win at a high level, he'll see that we got a full arena every night. We're in the East. It's not near as hard. Mm -hmm. And I can win a title here. It's a good city, all that stuff. A a good organization. Uh, So you've got to wait until Boston can put their hat in the ring before you can make a deal. And Gary Meridian says the Pelicans aren't tanking. They're just not good. No, they weren't good. But they're about to start offloading. And yeah. they're sitting some guys that probably would be able to play otherwise with, air quotes, injuries. Uh, so they're trying to lose right now. I mean, like I said, five of their six leading scorers are currently on the bench, not playing. And if the circumstances were different, I think they probably would. But that's just me. That's it for NBA. We promised it would be 10 minutes. We gave we you 10 minutes. We got through it, guys. We're going to be okay. Lee we Sterling did it. next. Super Bowl picks, all that good stuff with Lee. That's coming up in the Renaissance Bank Studio. We'll put the NBA talk on hold for now. Got a few of your texts, a tweet or two, and we'll get to those after we visit with our guy Lee Sterling of Paramount Sports and ParamountSports.com on the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Lee, we were just talking about 
Kristaps uh, Porzingis and Anthony Davis and where they're going. Is that something that you explore at all? Uh, you put any odds on Anthony Davis's destination or where he'll end up next year? I could end up as many as seven, eight different teams. I don't, I don't wager on those things when I see those props uh, come up. Uh, you know, because something come can come come up unexpectedly. You know, someone out of out of, out of the blue. Unless I hear, you know, a tip that, and, and it sounds real good, incredible, and it makes sense. But uh, you know, I I, I think that they're going to have to wait. I mean, they're they're probably not going to get close to his value now. I mean, the poor Zingas trade that they're talking about now, I mean, what else can go wrong? I mean, if you're a New York Knicks fan, I mean, at this point, they got to find a way to get uh, Dolan out of there. I mean, he has totally destroyed this franchise. Here's a guy that, you know, gives them hope for the future. Uh, now Dallas, I mean, <laughs> they're certainly going to be a player in the Western Conference for years to come. And then probably the story today is, I didn't even know this was, you know, they, there was a possibility it could happen. Missouri going on, uh, not not going to be able to play in the postseason. Yeah, did they you get... know that that was a possibility a couple days ago? No, we were talking about this earlier in the show. Just it came up out of nowhere. Usually, investigations, NCAA investigations, are are pretty public. At least, hey, this school got a notice of allegations. Hey, this school right. went to meet with the committee. And I, I open up Twitter today, and it's Missouri gets a, a postseason ban in football. It's like, where yeah. did this come from? Yeah. Oh, I mean, I think it was a big name school. If this was a Notre Dame, a Miami, or an Alabama, or an Auburn, uh, I think this would have uh, <laughs> it would have somehow leaked. But uh, so be it. But uh, it seemed like they had started turning the corner too late in the season. So uh, this is certainly not going to help them uh, with the recruiting day just a couple days away, and then also uh, leading into next season. Mm-hmm. Let's turn the page over to the Super Bowl now. And- yep. Uh, prop bets for the Super Bowl. People love those. They love the goofy ones like the color Gatorade or how many times yeah. will the president tweet on Super Bowl Sunday. But uh, let's look at player props. Is there any ones that, that you're looking at that you see that that are good plays for this game? Well, the, the, the best value, my biggest wager, and, and I thought this is way off, was total interceptions by J- Jared Goff. How many would you think they would set the over-under there at? Uh, one and a half. That's what I thought. They said it at a half. So as soon as I saw that, I hit the over as hard as I could. <laughs> Most of these places they only allow you to play 500 or or $1,000. I thought it was off. I mean, one interception, I have them down for probably two in the game. So uh, that was my largest play. Some others I like for Greg Zerloin, longest field goal. I like him uh, in that one. It's almost even money for the Rams. I mean, it was just saw the way he kicked uh, – uh, inside when he played in that conference championship game with the uh, the the game the field goal that tied it in regulation and then the I think it was fifty seven fifty eight yarder in overtime he's money um, also James White total number of receiving yards at fifty five and a half I mean the way that the Rams linebackers have trouble in space I mean he can catch eight ten twelve balls give me the over there. Uh, Tom Brady passing yards two ninety five and a half. I think we'll go flying over that number. 
So you expect a lot of offense, is what you're saying? Oh yeah, I mean <laughs> that's that seems to be the way that the NFL has, has, has certainly changed in the last couple of years. And everyone, the one that everyone likes to get involved with, it seems like is the first touchdown scored. Um, seems to be they have a pretty good feeling that it's going to probably be a running back. And in that case, you got to look to Sony Sony Michelle five to one or. For the LA Rams, CJ Anderson at seven to one, but I might take a shot on two guys at twenty to one for New England. Philip Dorsett. You got to think that that uh, the Rams cornerbacks had trouble uh, covering the long ball in postseason. So give me Philip Dorsett at twenty to one, or Tyler Higby. The Rams love him in the red zone. Anytime they get inside the twenty at twenty to one, those are two guys. Uh, if I hit on one of those, you, know, you guys may not hear from me. March Madness, you may not hear from me until the start of football season next year. Might be in some island uh, celebrating on a private yacht. <laughs> is, is there any sort of officials will blow a call that ultimately costs yeah, one of the teams a game prop? Usually you don't see those. This year I spotted two, and, and I actually like both of them. Uh, will there be an, a roughing the passer penalty during the game? Where would you go with that? Will there be one? Yes, I will take one. I'll take it, too. I mean, you blow on Tom Brady. I mean, you get close to the guy. Uh, it seems like they call a penalty. And then uh, how about this? We all know how poorly the both conference championship games were called. Will any touchdown be overturned by replay? I'm going to go with the, the two-to-win theory that they might finally get one out of three right. So I'm going to say no at two-to-one. So uh, I think they'll eventually get uh, get one right here. Do you play at all the, the Gatorade colors, the national anthem no, length? You don't do any of that stuff? But, but I do. There is one that I play. I play the national anthem. What's the length? 147. Now, here's what I do. I use my daughter for this, and she, she <laughs> studies it. So she, she, she's at a school called North Carolina School of the Arts. She is saying national anthems for six different NBA teams, a bunch of major league oh, wow. games, and, and, and also for uh, um, some college games. And she's, she's a, a connoisseur at this. And here's what they have. If you go to YouTube and you look up Gladys Knight, uh, national anthem. There's only one up, and I know she had to have sung some more national anthems. It's from 1991, and the length is only a minute 31. That's 20, 20 almost 28 years ago. And my daughter, I figured, okay, so she's going to go under. She says no, she's going to go way over. She's almost 75. If you heard her sing uh, at, at Aretha Franklin's funeral, she was amazing and really played it out. So I think they're going to play it out. This is her words: the over 147 at plus 120 is free money. <laughs> So the national anthem over one forty seven. I love over it. Over one forty seven. Only been one time where it's gone under. Really? Under one one minute and forty seven. Well, there it is. Put the prop up. So let's look at the game, the yeah. actual game itself. What do you see when you look at the outcome of this football game? I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. You know, I, I look at both teams. The only thing keeping the Rams from being where they were 
early in the season is Cooper Cup. I mean, he is so good. People don't realize this. To get drafted in the third round at Eastern Washington 2017, you got to be pretty special. Uh, he was amazing all four years there and the one and a half years he played in the NFL. So uh, he will be missed. But, uh, you know, they've got receivers galore. Uh, you know, if, if, if they can get any type of production out of their running backs in golf, uh, doesn't look like a deer in the headlights like he looked in the first half against New Orleans. They should do a good job against the New England defense. And uh, you look at their defense, their linebackers have trouble in space. Marcus Peters is grabbing and holding all the time. Aqib Tlaib looks like he's aged 8 to 10 years in the last year or two. And even LaMarcus Joyner, who I thought was the best defensive back for them early in the year. He has not been real good when the ball's been up in the air, but on the other side, um, two New England defensive backs, Jason McCourtney has been susceptible to double moves, and Patrick Chung has not been great in space, so I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. I think we're going to see something probably like 38-30 or or uh, 38-31. Lee Sterling of Paramount Sports on your radio right now. ParamountSports.com. You can purchase all of his picks there for you. Um, one last thing. I, I've been meaning to ask you this. When a play that we've talked about ad nauseum here with being so close to New Orleans, a lot of Saints fans in Mississippi, when you watched that outcome, what was your thought? What, what did you see, and how does that impact you? Well, I, I, I think people are still going to wager on it. I don't think it's going to be a record, record handle. I don't think this is a Super Bowl that people wanted to see. People were tired uh, of New England uh, a couple years ago. Uh, this is their ninth Super Bowl between Belichick and Brady, so um, that's old. Uh, the Rams, I'm still looking for the first Rams fan. I haven't found one. Uh, I have a friend who lives <laughs> three miles away from their training facility in, in, in L.A., and he said, there's like no hype at all. You don't even see people People, you know, with with cars, with anything, with the Rams hanging on the cars, or you go in the supermarket, nothing. It's it's he says you would think it's the middle of summer, uh, but maybe that's just the way LA is. So um, just not much hype here. I think the public was looking and, and praying for a New Orleans and Kansas City Super Bowl. Maybe we're just a year ahead of ahead of each other. I think it's going to happen here in Miami next year. So make sure you guys are down here on Radio Row next year. Going to have a big party at my house, and uh, oh, yeah. maybe that that'll be the year that the Saints uh, get the do- job done and win their second Super Bowl. Hopefully so. Looking forward to it, Lee. Thanks so much. Uh, good luck this Sunday, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Michael. That's Lee Sterling, Paramount Sports, ParamountSports.com. He's. Four o'clock hour, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming live at supertalk.fm. Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippy with you this afternoon. Richard's off just today. He'll be back tomorrow ready to rock and roll previewing Ole Miss and Mississippi State hoops as well as the Super Bowl, which has been dominated. The week leading up to the Super Bowl, the media cycle, and I don't know how much those of you listening care about the media cycle, has been dominated by the NBA. So... Adam Silver is loving it. I doubt Roger Goodell is loving it. But the NBA has been the the talk of the week leading up to the Super Bowl. We will do a Super Bowl preview as well as the Egg Bowl of basketball tomorrow. We were going to talk some NBA right now, but there is some breaking news. Friend of the show, Joel T. Coleman, who is co-host of the Thunder and Lightning podcast, which, by the way, you can get on iTunes or at supertalk.fm, whichever you prefer. Uh, that Mississippi State junior pitcher Denver McQuarrie has been dismissed from the team 
for violation of team rules. It's pretty vague, hey, Dad, so do you know anything more than that? I do not. I do not. I reached out to Joel as soon as I saw it and said, do you, do you have any idea what the real reason is? And, and you know, we'll have to speculate because we don't know. Um, McQuarrie was, a, you know, uh, an upperclassman who had pitched in some big spots for MSU in the past couple of years, uh, was probably going to be in the mix for that Sunday starter spot behind Ethan Small and JT Ginn. Uh, going into the uh, into the season, uh, but obviously that'll that'll be a thing of the past now, and he'll he'll move on. What a, what an odd career for him, you know, guy. I don't know. I, I told you this in the break, and I don't know how many of our listeners know it, but Denver McQuarrie is the all-time leading or the leader in interceptions uh, in the state of Mississippi for high school football, or at least he was when he when he left high school. Great athlete. Had had some some good times and some some ups and downs at Mississippi State, but he'll he'll be moving on as of now. How big of a loss is that? What was his role supposed to be? I think he would have been a, you know, like I said, possibly the Sunday starter, but I don't think he would have gotten that job. He could have been a midweek starter, and, and definitely would have been some long relief on the weekends. Um, so I mean, it's it's a hole to fill, but State's got enough quality arms this year that I don't think it's it's a it's a backbreaker or anything like that. All right, so that's what we have right now. We will continue to preview baseball season. I think just two and a half weeks away from first pitch, so coming down to it. Um, and at least a depth loss for Mississippi two weeks, State. Two weeks, not two and a half. Two, two weeks from tomorrow. Wow, it's our, it's right. That's Thursday. So, fifteen days away from first pitch, yeah. uh, coming down to it. Uh, so let's get into some NBA. And if you don't like it, just give us a few minutes. We'll get right. You're gonna back like it because I'm about to make Borky really up, uh, agitated and unhappy. Go ahead. Well, I, I don't know if you're going to because we might actually agree on something. But first, uh, the the big story of today was how the Knicks offloaded Kristaps Porzingis to the Mavericks, and they got some pieces back. But basically, they did that. And Rippy, you're you're more uh, educated on this th- than myself. They made this deal. They got rid of their youngest and most valuable asset. It appears because they're clearing up a bunch of space to make a run at Kevin Durant and Anthony Davis. Yeah, well, so I'm they have. Oh, go ahead. So they have, I believe, seventy-eight million dollars in cap space now freed up, which would be good enough for two max slots, if I'm not mistaken. So I think they're going to try to make a big run this summer at a couple different guys. You mentioned Anthony Davis and Kevin Durant. I think Kyrie Irving's got to be in the conversation, too. I'm old enough to remember when New York cleared out a bunch of cap space to make a run at LeBron James, and that turned out the way that that turned out. The Knicks, as great as Madison Square Garden and the history of basketball in New York City is, James Dolan is an owner players don't want to play for at the end of the day, and they just don't. He's, he's, he's incompetent at best. And you know, much worse than that at worst. So I, I, I see this as we were probably a few months away from the Knicks giving max contracts to a couple players that don't deserve max contracts, just to try to save some face when they strike out on Durant and, and Anthony Davis and players like that. I don't think Anthony Davis is going to make it to free agency. That's just my opinion. I don't, or at least for the summer. I think that's going to that that's going to be resolved before the end of the before maybe even get to the trade deadline. I don't know. You think they're going to deal him before the trade deadline? I think that there's a possibility. So, all right, let's get into that right now because we have yet to get your take on this. Um, But since Richard's gone, we get to do what we want, and we want to talk basketball. And so Anthony Davis, through his agent, um, told the Pelicans and then made it public that he wanted to be traded. And as it's been dug deeper, it turns out that he had a conversation with Pelicans GM Del Demps, basically begging him to deal him before the deadline. And Demps' response was, 
Nah, but I guarantee, I promise you, I'll do it before the start of next season. Um, some reporting here and there about, uh, well, Del Demps never picked up the phone and the Lakers called to now that they've spoken, but nothing has really come of it to the Lakers have put five different offers on the table. Right. It seems infeasible he'll move before the end of the season. I bet this summer they move him, though. Don't They're going to want to see because... what Boston comes up with and where Boston, what draft picks they can offer them. But as that far said, as New... go ahead, go ahead. Uh, I was just saying, as far as New York's concerned, Kyrie is an interesting one here because he's been linked to have interest in New York for almost two years now, and now they kind of have the space to do it. And so how does that kind of become a domino effect if he leaves for their bidding for Anthony Davis? Boston's, that is. Right. I don't I don't think Kyrie will be the first domino to go to New York. I think he would wait it out to see if somebody like Durant I don't think he wants to go there and try to be the piece that they recruit around. He wants to know that he wants to have some assurances. Because he knows that if he wants to he can stay in Boston. He could go to LA and reunite with LeBron since they seem to have put their differences behind them. He has other options. So if he wants to go to New York, he's gonna make sure he doesn't get stuck there by himself. But you still think they might deal him before the deadline? They might. They just might. They might just might because I'm sure they're talking with Anthony Davis. And what if he just gives them a destination? Like, look, anybody else you trade me to, I'm not signing a long term deal unless you send me to this place. And what if that place is L.A.? L.A.'s offer is not going to get any better between now and the and the summer. They're gonna they're gonna give up their entire young core, which is hilarious to me the way that that whole thing has played out. That those guys were supposedly untouchable two years ago, and it really feels like the first fifty games of the season were just a dress rehearsal for LeBron. It was like he wanted to see if they could do it, you know. And him getting injured has hurt them. Obviously, they would they were in the fourth place in the West when he got hurt. Now they're down to ninth. I mean, that's not surprising. That's why LeBron's the best player in the, in, the, in the game. And I'd love as a Laker fan, I'd love to keep Kyle Kuzma. He's the one guy I think is the true future star in that group, but you got to do it, you know. So the, the the deal that they offered supposedly was Ball, Ingram, Kuzma, Zubak, and a first round pick. Which I mean, if, if the Lakers get Anthony Davis, you're talking about a pick in the high twenties, probably. So it's not that's not a, there's not a lot of value to that. But that's four good young players, and they already have Randall. That's it's hilarious that the Lakers' young core can become the Pelicans' young core in in the course of a about twelve months. The Pelicans' best case scenario here is for. Probably for Davis to not play the rest of the year, but still have him on the roster, tank, kind of get a draft pick in order, and then move him this summer. Yeah, right. and they are tanking. I mean, they're they're going to tank and, and posture for a draft pick, even though missing five of their top six leading scorers has led to them playing really good basketball in the two games since Anthony Davis said that he wanted to leave. The, the Boston deal... Unless that changes, unless Danny Ainge completely changes what they have been told that they're going to offer, I don't think the fan base in New Orleans will accept anything else. They certainly won't accept sending him for L.A. for basically the same deal but with not as good players, and Boston has more picks to give up. Right. That, that's that's what's going to end up. That, that's the case to wait, basically, that if – if, Andy, if Davis is open to multiple teams and he's willing to wait to the summer to figure it out, then, yeah, Boston is going to be able to offer a probably a more tra- – you're, you're, what you're going to get is, especially if it's the first pick, if somehow that becomes the first pick and that means you're getting Zion Williamson, you're, you're really, you know I, – I, not that they're the same kind of player, but Zion is the same potential superstar that Anthony Davis has become, I think. So 
Yeah. That would be good news. for. Them. Same with the Knicks, though. The Knicks could have all this cap space and the number one pick. Mm-hmm. So they could get two superstars and Zion Williamson, and then then you really got something cooking there. Buckle up on that. Yeah. And with Boston, I mean, at the end of the day, they think that even though Davis's agent is saying anywhere but L.A. is a one-year rental, they think that they will be able to convince him to stay and re-sign him even after one year. So they're still willing to do the deal, it sounds like, according to reports, even though they know that that stigma is in place because they believe once he gets there and they will win at a high level, he'll see that we got a full arena every night. We're in the East. It's not near as hard. Mm -hmm. And I can win a title here. It's a good city, all that stuff. A a good organization. Uh, So you've got to wait until Boston can put their hat in the ring before you can make a deal. And Gary Meridian says the Pelicans aren't tanking. They're just not good. No, they weren't good. But they're about to start offloading, and they're sitting some guys that probably would be able to play otherwise with, air quotes, injuries. Uh, So they're trying to lose right now. I mean, like I said, five of their six leading scorers are currently on the bench, not playing. And if the circumstances were different, I think they probably would. But that's just me. That's it for NBA. We promised it would be 10 minutes. We gave you 10 minutes. We got through it, guys. We're going to be okay. Lee Sterling next. Super Bowl picks, all that good stuff with Lee. That's coming up in the Renaissance Bank studio. We'll put the NBA talk on hold for now. Got a few of your texts, a tweet or two, and we'll get to those after we visit with our guy Lee Sterling of Paramount Sports and ParamountSports.com on the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Lee, we were just talking about Kristaps uh, Porzingis and Anthony Davis and where they're going. Is that something that you explore at all? Uh, you put any odds on Anthony Davis's destination or where he'll end up next year? I could n- end up as many as seven, eight different teams. I don't, I don't wager on those things when I see those props uh, come up. Uh, you know, because something come, can come <laughs> come up unexpectedly. You know, someone out of, out of, out of the blue. Unless I hear, you know, a tip that, and, and it sounds real good, incredible, and it makes sense. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think that they're going to have to wait. I mean, they're, they're probably not going to get close to his value now. I mean, the Porzingis trade that they're talking about now, I mean, what else can go wrong? I mean, if you're a New York Knicks fan, I mean, at this point, they got to find a way to get uh, Dolan out of there. I mean, he has totally destroyed this franchise. Here's a guy that, you know, gives them hope for the future. Uh, now Dallas, I mean, <laughs> they're certainly going to be a player in the Western Conference for years to come. And then probably the story today is I didn't even know this was, you know, they, there was a possibility it could happen. Missouri going on, uh, not not com- going to be able to play in the postseason. Yeah. Did they you get... even know that that was a possibility a couple days ago? No, we were talking about this earlier in the show. Just it came up out of nowhere. Usually investigations, NCAA investigations, are, are pretty public at least. Hey, this school got a notice of allegations. Hey, this school right. went to meet with the committee. And I, I opened up Twitter today, and it's Missouri gets a, a postseason ban in football. It's like, where yeah. did this come from? Yeah. Oh, I mean, I think it was a big-name school. If this was a Notre Dame, a Miami, or an Alabama, or an Auburn, uh, I think this would have uh, <laughs> it would have somehow leaked. But, 
so be it. But uh, it seemed like they had started turning the corner too late in the season. So uh, this is certainly not going to help them uh, with the recruiting day just a couple days away and then also uh, leading into next season. Mm-hmm. Let's turn the page over to the Super Bowl now. and yep. uh, Prop bets for the Super Bowl. People love those. They love the goofy ones like the color Gatorade or how many times yep. will the president tweet on Super Bowl Sunday. But uh, let's look at player props. Is there any ones that, that you're looking at that you see that that are good plays for this game? Well, the, the, the best value, my biggest wager, and, and I thought this is way off, was total interceptions by J- Jared Goff. How many would you think they would set the over-under there at? Uh, one and a half. That's what I thought. They set it at a half. So as soon as I saw that, I hit the over as hard as I could. <laughs> Most of these places they only allow you to play 500 or or $1,000. I thought it was off. I mean, one interception, I have them down for probably two in the game. So uh, that was my largest play. Some others I like for Greg Zerloin, longest field goal. I like him uh, in that one. It's almost even money for the Rams. I mean, it was just saw the way he kicked uh, uh, inside when he played in that conference championship game. With the uh, the the game the field goal that tied it in regulation and then the I think it was fifty seven fifty eight yarder in overtime he's money um, also James White total number of receiving yards at fifty five and a half I mean the way that the Rams linebackers have trouble in space I mean he can catch eight ten twelve balls give me the over there uh, Tom Brady passing yards two ninety five and a half I think we'll go flying over that number. Uh, so you expect a lot of offense up. is what you're saying. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's, that, that seems to be the way that the NFL has, has, has certainly changed in the last couple of years. And everyone, the one that everyone likes to get involved with, it seems like is the first touchdown scored, um, seems to be they have a pretty good feeling that it's going to probably be a running back. And in that case, you've got to look to Sonny, Sonny Michelle 5-1 to one or for the LA Rams, CJ Anderson at seven to one, but I might take a shot on two guys at twenty to one for New England. Philip Dorsett. You got to think that that uh, the Rams cornerbacks had trouble uh, covering the long ball in postseason. So give me Philip Dorsett at twenty to one, or Tyler Higby. The Rams love him in the red zone. Anytime they get inside the twenty at twenty to one, those are two guys. Uh, I hit on one of those. You, know, you guys may not hear from me. March Madness, you may not hear from me until the start of football season next year. Might be in some island uh, celebrating on a private yacht. <laughs> is, is there any sort of officials will blow a call that ultimately costs yeah, one of the teams a game prop? Usually you don't see those. This year I spotted two, and, and I actually like both of them. Uh, will there be an, a roughing the passer penalty during the game? Where would you go with that? Will there be one? Yes, I will take one. I'll take it, too. I mean, you blow on Tom Brady. I mean, you get close to the guy. Uh, it seems like they call a penalty. And then uh, <laughs> how about this? We all know how poorly the both conference championship games were called. Will any touchdown be overturned by replay? I'm going to go with the, the two-to-win theory that they might finally get one out of three right. So I'm going to say no at two-to-one. So uh, I think they'll eventually get uh, get one right here. Do you play at all the, the Gatorade colors, the national anthem no, length? You don't do any of that stuff? But, but I do. There is one that I play. I play the national anthem. What's the length? 147. Now, here's what I do. I use my daughter for this, and she, she studies it. 
So she's, she, she's at a school called North Carolina School of the Arts. She has sang national anthems for six different NBA teams, a bunch of major league oh, wow. games, and, and, and also for uh, um, some college games. And she's, she's a, a connoisseur at this. And here's what they have. If you go to YouTube and you look up Gladys Knight uh, national anthem, there's only one up. And I know she had to have sung some more national anthems. It's from 1991, and the length is only a minute 31. That's 20, 20 almost 28 years ago. And my daughter, I figured, okay, so she's going to go under. She says, no, she's going to go way over. She's almost 75. If you heard her sing uh, at, at Aretha Franklin's funeral, she was amazing and really played it out. So I think they're going to play it out. This is her words. The over 147 at plus 120 is free money. <laughs> so the national anthem over 147. I love over it. Over 147. Only been one time where it's gone under. Really? Under one one minute and 47. Well, there it they is. Put the prop up. So let's look at the game, the yeah. actual game itself. What do you see when you look at the outcome of this football game? I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. You know, I, I look at both teams. The only thing keeping the Rams from being where they were early in the season is Cooper Cup. I mean, he is so good. People don't realize this. To get drafted in the third round out of Eastern Washington 2017, you got to be pretty special. Uh, he was amazing all four years there and the one and a half years he played in the NFL. So uh, he will be missed. But, uh, you know, they've got receivers galore. Uh, you know, if, if – if they can get any type of production out of their running backs in golf, uh, doesn't look like a deer in the headlights like he looked in the first half against New Orleans. They should do a good job against the New England defense. And uh, you look at their defense, their linebackers have trouble in space. Marcus Peters is grabbing and holding all the time. Akeem Talib looks like he's aged eight to ten years in the last year or two. And even LaMarcus Joyner, who I thought was the best defensive back for them early in the year. He has not been real good when the ball's been up in the air, but on the other side, um, two New England defensive backs, Jason McCourtney has been susceptible to double moves, and Patrick Chung has not been great in space, so I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. I think we're going to see something probably like 38-30 or 38-31. Uh, uh, Lee Sterling of Paramount Sports on your radio right now. ParamountSports.com. You can purchase all of his picks there for you. Um, one last thing. I've been meaning to ask you this. When a play that we've talked about ad nauseum here with being so close to New Orleans, a lot of Saints fans in Mississippi, when you watched that outcome, what was your thought? What did you see, and how does that impact you? Well, I think people are still going to wager on it. I don't think it's going to be a record handle. I don't think this is a Super Bowl that people wanted to see. People were tired of New England a couple years ago. This is their ninth Super Bowl between Belichick and Brady, so um, that's old. Uh, the Rams, I'm still looking for the first Rams fan. I haven't found one. I have a friend who lives three miles away from their training facility in, in L.A., and he said, there's like no hype at all. You don't even see people you know, with, with cars, with anything, with the Rams hanging on the cars, or you go in the supermarket, nothing. It's, it's, he says, you would think it's the middle of summer, uh, but maybe that's just the way L.A. is. So um, just not much hype here. I think the public was looking and, and praying for a New Orleans and Kansas City Super Bowl. 
maybe we're just a year ahead of ahead of each other. I think it's going to happen here in Miami next year. So make sure you guys are down here on Radio Row next year. We're going to have a big party at my house, and uh, oh, yeah. maybe that that'll be the year that the Saints uh, get the do- job done and win their second Super Bowl. Hopefully so. Looking forward to it, Lee. Thanks so much. Uh, good luck this Sunday, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Michael. It's Lee Sterling, Paramount Sports, ParamountSports.com. He's back on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming live at Supertalk.fm. Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey with you. So I teased it before the break. We got a text, and I said it was from Denny. It's actually from, from Walter. Just misread the text there. And you can text the show just like Walter did, 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. That's the C Spire text line. You can be a part of the show just like Walter did. And here's what the text read. He said, quote, After last night's inexcusable collapse, he has lost confidence in Kermit Davis already. He's been coaching too long to fail that bad at the end. Athletics athletics director Ross Bjork says team plays hard, not three out of the last four they haven't. State probably wins easily in Oxford. I'm not a Johnny-come-lately. I go back to the Bob Wetlich days. He's just honest. End quote. That's Walter. He also says he enjoys the show, and for that we thank you. I am going to tell you, though, that you need to step back a little bit and just just calm down and and come off the ledge and and just have some perspective on the the team that Kermit Davis currently has and the situation that he took over. So, yeah, they've had a slide lately. They should not have lost that game last night. And I think all three of us agreed that they should have fouled up three with fewer than nine seconds left in the game. That all can be true, and it can also be true that even with the loss last night and even with the, the slide that they've been on, this team is exponentially better than anybody expected they would be, and the fact that they're even going to overtime in Gainesville and going to Starkville and winning and beating Auburn and having a winning record at this point is an outstanding coaching job. He took over a team that went 12 and 20 last year and at times were a lot worse than what the 12 and 20 record indicated. He's got on the post, he's got two freshmen. Neither of them are true bigs. A guy in Dominic Olenichek who works his tail off but is severely limited. Can't I mean he's got bad hands, he can't get rebounds, he's not very athletic. Works hard, but I highly doubt is somebody that Kermit would have recruited himself. And a guy in Bruce Stevens who, when he's giving effort, when he's trying, probably still isn't an SEC big. He's got a point guard who's playing with a broken foot, and the only guard that comes off the bench is a walk-on. And yet, still to this day, after the loss to Florida last night, would be in the NCAA tournament if it started today, and it's February tomorrow. I think Walter's on to something personally. We should fire <laughs> that guy immediately. If you can, it's cannot, just like go it's ahead. like what do, what do you want? Like it, like Borky summed it up well there, but like to to point to like hammer the point home, the team went twelve and twenty a year ago. And, like, I had someone text me last night that says, like, if this team collapses and misses the tournament, like, Kermit's going to lose the fan base. I, like, had to read that, like, five times because of the absurdity of it. It's like, what do you want? Like, how how can you have a collapse 
when your team gets into the NCAA tournament conversation in January. How is that? A, like, that makes no sense. If Ole Miss on Selection Sunday is on anyone's screen on ESPN, whether that's on the right side of the bubble or wrong side of the bubble, the guy should land a lot of votes for SEC Coach of the Year. I mean, it's just that simple. Like, what he inherited versus I mean, what he's working with now in the position they are now, I mean, it's, it's like that argument is just head scratching to me. They have, I mean, that roster has no business with the record that they've got. No, and I think it's a fan base that maybe just doesn't quite. I don't want to like rag on them, but like doesn't quite get it yet. Like Kansas is one in three in its last four games right now, and there's one common opponent in there. And if you take Ole Miss's last four games, you could make an argument that Ole Miss has played four better teams as a whole. So like, it's the doldrums of January going into February. Like every team goes through this, and I'm not saying Ole Miss is going to come out of it. I don't know what's going to happen, but like, come on. It's it's year one. I mean, th- 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 does this sound sort of familiar though? Does this sound like what we were talking about with Moorhead a little bit? And, and Kermit has had more success to this point than Moorhead had. But you know when, and it's it's but at the same time it's sort of the opposite in that. Moorhead inherited a team with high expectations. Ole Miss was predicted dead last. The fact that they're not dead last means he must be doing a pretty decent job because nobody thought they had any talent whatsoever. And they're not going to finish dead last. Like, it's almost impossible. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I, I don't get that one. And the I effort mean, thing, on, on the effort front, they are so thin, and especially against Iowa State. That team was just filled with better players than them. And when better players shoot the ball better than you, it looks like you're not trying. But Devontae Shuler's out there playing with a broken foot. Effort with that team shouldn't be a question. It's just and, at times they're thin and they're they're playing teams that are better than them. And let's say even if they do miss the NCAA tournament, let's say it's close and they miss it. When you look around the SEC, unless someone goes on a run, who has a better argument for Coach of the Year? Rick Barnes. Than Rick Barnes. Probably yeah. Rick Barnes because of how good they were, but they were pretty good last year. But you get my point. That's it. Like that's it. Yeah. I don't know. Thank you for listening, Walter. We just disagree with you on this front. Kermit Day. Ole Miss fans should be absolutely thrilled with the direction their basketball program is headed, even with the recent losses. We'll talk about the Missouri situation next. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio.
Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.